0: Are you ready to go off script? Let's see how the Bible challenges the roles the world has written for us. Now that we've worked through several counterfeit gods, including love, money, success, and power, it's time to dig in a little deeper. Do you understand your own heart? Can you discern where you are tempted to idolize something or someone? In order to figure this out, ask yourself these four questions. One, what do you daydream about? Two, what do you spend your money on? Three, what happens when you don't get an answer to prayer? And four, what instigates the most uncontrollable emotions within you? Asking these kinds of questions can help you discover your own counterfeit gods. However, even once you've identified and uprooted them, you still have to put God on the throne. One of the best ways to do this is to recognize the incredible worth and value of God. To that end, we discuss 10 reasons why God is worthy of worship. Ultimately, we need to cultivate our relationship with God. Worshiping Him takes work and diligence, but it is grounded in God's unfathomable love shown to us through the cross. Here now is the final concluding episode of our Counterfeit Gods series called Worshiping God. Today, we're finishing up our series on Counterfeit Gods, the book that Tim Keller wrote. And we've looked at worshiping love, worshiping money, worshiping success, and worshiping power. And today, we thought we would conclude this series by looking at the antidote to all of this false worship, which is worshiping God. And I want to begin by reading from the introduction to this book on page 20 where he says a counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family and children or career and making money or achievement and critical acclaim or saving face and social standing. It can be romantic relationship, pure approval, competence and skill, secure and comfortable circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue or even success in the Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependency, but it is really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. And so now that we've looked at these four specifics we've looked at love we've looked at money we've looked at success or achievement and power the question for us is what about your own heart where where are you at with regard to all these things in the epilogue of his book tim keller goes through four questions that you can ask yourself to really discern your own counterfeit god and when i read this last chapter, when I, when I saw these four questions, I started to think to myself, uh-oh. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> because they are very penetrating. So I just want to cruise through all four and see what you, Rose, and uh, you, Dan, say, uh, think about this as well. But the first one is, take a look at your imagination. What do you daydream about? What occupies your mind? That might be your counterfeit God. Number two, take a look at mm-hmm. your finances. How do you spend your money? How does your faith affect your wallet? That might be your counterfeit God. Number three, take a look at how you respond to unanswered prayer. It's fine to be sad or feel frustrated, but if you respond with rage or sink into depression because you don't get the answer you were seeking, then whatever that was you were praying for could very well be your counterfeit God. And then the last one is take a look at your most uncontrollable emotions. Mm -hmm. In what areas of your life do you completely lose it, flip out? Or, if you lost something or someone, like it, it would just completely destroy you, as I was looking through these four main diagnoses that Keller provides, I started to realize that I wasn't answering these questions with God, and that to me was a severe warning because like question one, once again, take a look at your imagination. what do you dream about? like if you have nothing else to think about, what are you thinking about? If it's not God or I don't. I don't want to say like we have to think about God all day long and be in some sort of meditative state, but like, is God even in there? Not when we're doing our devotional time in the morning, but like you're just waiting on a line somewhere. Do our thoughts ever drift to God? And if not, then it's like, well, why not? Or how we spend our money. Do we spend our money or the things? There are certain things we spend our money on, like bills, right? Nobody's excited Mm -hmm. about paying bills monthly reoccurring charges, right? But, like, there are certain things that we do pay for, whether it's a product or a service, that we do get excited about. Is God one of those things? However that works out in your particular situation. Uh, or looking at unanswered prayer. I mean, we can get mad at God. What about recognizing the times when he does answer our prayer? And then the, the last one, our uncontrollable emotions. Like, if we lost God, would we be Okay. Sadly, I think most of us would say yes. And if, if, and if we're okay with losing God, then God is not God. God is not our God. Something else is our God. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, really, it really convicted me. I mean, you think about your daily routine, your weekly routine. If God perished from your life, like, let's say the atheists turn out to be right and they come up with some argument That defeats God definitively and now there's no more God in your life. Would your life basically look the same as it does now? Mm. (laughs) Right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like there these are some deep questions for introspection where we do need to be honest and we do need to say, Hey, maybe God's not God to me. Even you know, obviously we believe in God, but like maybe He's not on the throne as much as he needs to be Mm. in our Mm -hmm. own lives.
2: I think there's a wide chasm between believing in God and having him be in control of your life it needs to be a daily thing like god can be on on the throne of your life one day and and not on the next having god on the throne and jesus as lord in your life is a lifelong quest it's not something that you plateau at you achieve and then from there on out it's smooth sailing Mm
1: -hmm. i think we have an adversary working against us to do his his uttermost to dethrone god in our lives i know for people like me who i'm a very like Face to face kind of person, texting is okay, but if you call me, I'm not gonna be happy. Just wait till I can see you face to face, and then we'll talk about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I Good to know. <laughs> don't call Rose. <laughs> yeah, no, self. if you call me, I'll be like, did somebody die? Um, and that <laughs> is why following a God uh, that I can't see and keeping him on the throne will be a struggle until you know, as long as I see in a mirror dimly. It will be a struggle until I see face-to-face. And making this the most fundamental um, relationship uh, you know above all else, grounding all else, is a huge struggle for me, but yet something um, that I need to be mindful of um, and I need to focus on. Where my heart is maybe more naturally inclined um, to enthrone people or tangible objects that I see and interact with, I have to remember that those things are fleeting. God is the valuable one and the one I want to have Um, you know, enthroned above all else in my heart.
0: There's a way of life that can help us to be better in this area. And that is when we experience something that is good, don't let it terminate in that thing or that event. In other words, recognize that it's a gift from God or Mm. recognize that it brings glory glory to God. I mean, here's just a, a simple little example. When you eat food, when you eat a sandwich, you take a bite, and it tastes good. Don't let it terminate in the sandwich, your mm-hmm. satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Recognize the sandwich is good. Awesome. <laughs> Nothing <Recognize laughs> wrong with that. wherever you bought the sandwich that, that that place is good, or if you made it yourself, that you have mad skills. But don't let it terminate with the sandwich. Bring it all the way back mm-hmm. to God. Say, God, you have designed my taste buds to enjoy this sandwich. You ha- You have created the kind of world where bread exists you've created lettuce and whatever this animal is that we've sliced into. bacon it's bacon okay (laughs) (laughs) but i mean recognizing like almost like enjoying through Mm. stuff all Mm -hmm. the way to god is a way to get god in our thoughts more and to recognize his goodness that we're experiencing every moment of the day Mm -hmm. with every breath Mm -hmm. There is God's goodness in our lungs with every neuron that fires in our brains. Every time we have a coherent thought, that's God's goodness at work.
1: I do that all the time, actually. So maybe that is something, you know, a practice that I've adapted because I need to. But I'm actually more likely um, to praise God over a delicious sandwich than when something goes wrong in my life. It's interesting. Um, So, I mean, reach out to God in every circumstance. But yes, you can take advantage of the positives, too, instead of just needing him to, to come in and fix you.
2: What would be an example of that? Like something going wrong and tracing it back to God?
1: Oh, like, I mean, anything, I I think it is good to reach out to God, even if your car breaks down and instead of sitting by the side of the road and kind of like cursing under your breath, say, all right, Lord, I I trust you. You got it.
0: Weren't you saying that A lot of us only bring God into the picture when times are bad.
1: Some people, yeah, but I, well, I'm much more likely uh, to connect with God over a delicious sandwich and forget. Right.
2: Or over a good thing.
0: Right. And
1: forget to talk to him at all when I break down. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: Like my tax return is bigger this year Uh than I thought it would be. So I'm I'm going to be like, thank you, God. Mm Mm-hmm but then if the next year my tax return isn't as large as I would like it to be what she's saying and I, and I agree with this on the same way I'm not necessarily going to be like go, go to God with that in prayer being like god I was counting on this being you know more money I don't know what I'm going to do in this certain situation like that type mm-hmm. of thing you just kind of I think a it. lot of us are the opposite.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Well with a major thing like really bad I will but sometimes it can be alarming how bad it has to get before I actually bring it in prayer. Whereas well, the, the sandwich, I mean.
0: <laughs> well, we want to do both, right? Yeah. yeah. We want to That's go to God point, in I our think. time of need, and mm-hmm. we want to also recognize His goodness when we experience joy in life mm-hmm. or satisfaction or just need to recenter ourselves maybe multiple times during the day and say, I'm breathing. God is good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Because, I mean, if you're still alive, you're probably still breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Right?
1: Well, and cultivating the prayer habit as a tradition and just a common practice that runs through your life, through the fiber of your life. And that's something, you know, not being a phone person, that I always struggle with, but I have definitely found that makes you more likely to go to God across the board in the good times and the bad times, as we should. Bringing Him into your life and making Him... Um, just a part of your everyday and your every moment that will help keep him on the throne in your heart
0: i wanted to read out another quote this comes from page 166 in tim keller's counterfeit god's book there is something you feel you must have to be happy something that is more important to your heart than god himself we would not lie unless we first had made something human approval reputation power over others financial advantage more important and valuable to our hearts than the grace and favor of god the secret to change is to identify and dismantle the counterfeit gods of your heart and so we want to recognize what is occupying that place in our own heart and i want to add a second move as well which is not only recognizing what is vying for competition with god what is vying for position with god but also putting God on the throne. And I think the way you do that is, is you recognize and remember what he's done for you. That's just one way to do it. And it reminds me of Kim Walker Smith. She's a singer for Jesus Culture. And she uh, sang this very famous version of, oh, how he loves us. And in the middle of it, she, she just stops singing and she starts talking. And she talks about how if you've experienced the love of God, you would never be the same. And it's really powerful. So I, I want to play that out now.
1: His presence, his love is so thick and tangible in this room tonight. And there are some of you here that have not encountered the love of God. And tonight, God wants to encounter you and wants you to feel his love, his amazing love. Without it, these are just songs, these are just words, these are just instruments. Without the love of God, it's it's just like we're just up here just making noise, but the love of God changes us and we're never the same. We're never the same after we encounter the love of God.
0: what do you guys think about that?
2: You can't parachute into something like that, but you can still, the, the power of her words and the emotion behind them and the truth behind them as well. Like it's easy to mix up emotion and truth, but yeah, it makes you wish that you were there.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I think rightly, rightly balanced, truth and emotion should go together. Mm-hmm. And then you have a genuine emotional experience as opposed right. to a false emotional experience. And what, what I really appreciated about, I mean, obviously she's, totally amped up she'd already been singing for how however long by the time you know i I cut that in here but what i love about it is that she says to them i want you to have a love encounter with god and then she says and if you had you would know it because you'd never be the same Mm -hmm. and sadly we over time we get used to it and we're just like oh yeah god loves me Mm -hmm. god loves you and it's just like it, it turns from the the most incredible act and experience of your life into a cliche into a common saying that has no emotion it's still true but and we have to work at that it's just like mm-hmm. any relationship you just, your relationship with your dog you have to work at mm-hmm. you know you have to feed the dog you have to take the dog out right Relationship with your with your friends you have to feed your friends No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> But you you know, you have to talk to your friends or else they're not gonna be friends anymore They're just gonna become acquaintances or certainly with uh, a romantic relationship. You want to spend time together, right? Mm-hmm. And so you any relationship you have to cultivate it or else that relationship will atrophy and it will die and w- When it comes to worshiping God, which is our topic for today, mm-hmm. I think a key for doing that is reminding ourselves of how he's encountered us in the past. And it's probably not just one time either. Sometimes what I like to do is think back to myself, who I was, and the dysfunction of my life before Christ, sort of like stew in that for a moment and relive that moment when God reached down and I reached up and he pulled me out. And d- never forget where I came from. Mm. And I feel like that is something that has helped me over time to fight complacency, to fight that tendency. It's like we're all on an escalator and unless you're walking in the opposite direction, you're just by default gonna go up or down, whichever way the escalator is going. So I really appreciated what Kim Walker said there.
1: Encountering God and the love of God, as Kim Walker said, should be something totally transforming and something that you have no doubt about in your mind. Tim Keller talks about um, this transformation from the idols, um, you know, the counterfeit idols in your heart to, to putting God there in their place. He says, "...setting the mind and heart on things above where your life is hid with Christ and God means appreciation, rejoicing, and resting in what Jesus has done for you. It entails joyful worship, a sense of God's reality in prayer. Jesus must become more beautiful to your imagination, more attractive to your heart than your idol." that is what will will replace your counterfeit gods if you uproot the idol and fail to plant the love of christ in its place the idol will grow back you will default to your counterfeit idols unless the greatness and beauty and attractiveness of the love of god and jesus for you um unless you see it in its full glory and it becomes overwhelming so overwhelming that you can do nothing other than enshrine this as as the god of your heart
0: so in an effort to do that i put together a list of 10 reasons why God is awesome. <laughs> I'm sure your list would be different than mine. I, I just kind of brainstormed this and it, it wasn't hard to come up with. And I think if you asked me to come up with another 10 other than these, I, I, I would be able to do it. But here, here are my 10 in no particular order. One is creation. Well, let me back up. The idea of worship is connected with the idea of worth. Worth. And so it's when you ascribe worth to someone is when you worship them, at least in, in, especially in an absolute sense when we're talking about God here. So why is God worthy? What, Why is God so valuable? Well, he created everything. How about that as a starting point? Mm-hmm. God invented DNA. He just psh, had that as an idea and made it a reality. He created the the cloud of oh, having no. a moving canvas above our heads, mm-hmm with different shapes and I don't know, it's just, Ever changing. it's moving art mm-hmm. is, is how I think of it or gravity. I mean, gravity is so cool and we don't even understand gravity. It's fundamental. To even know, post everything. Einstein, we don't understand gravity. I mean, it, it's, it's the, the, the stronger a gravitational field is the slower time moves for you. Meditate on that for a minute. Mm. You know, like what? How about how number two, how God calls the underdog. I love that. He calls Saul. Saul's is this awkward... Like, we think of tall people in our society as, as great athletes, mm. right? In a lot of ancient societies, they just felt like they were awkward. And so here, here's t- Saul hiding in the baggage when he's supposed to be like the, the man in the limelight that... God through Samuel is calling to be the first king of Israel. And he's just sort of like not there during the drawing.
2: Yeah. And even David after him, he was a small shepherd boy who was discounted Mm -hmm. by his father in the initial line. His own father. Mm -hmm. Right. And was it Samuel again that that anointed David? Yes. Mm you know he's like where's are these all your sons and and there's like well there's one in the field and it was this pipsqueak and david <laughs> went on to be the greatest
0: king of israel right mm-hmm. right or esther i mean she is just a random refugee mm. she's mm-hmm. she's an incognito jew in a persian empire mm. and
2: she she saved and, her people
0: yeah she gets the highest position in the land the queen of persia and then is able through the wisdom that god gives her and faith encouraged to step in for such a time as this or Mary Magdalene this woman had all these spirits right and and Jesus cast them out and she became a powerhouse in the early church or even Peter I mean he's just a smelly fisherman <laughs> right and then Jesus just like follow me he's oh. like he probably didn't even bring the boat to shore he probably just jumped out I mean we know he did that later <laughs> right but Peter's just like I don't have anything going on mm-hmm. and he just follows you and now Peter becomes this amazing apostle. Yeah. Wrote two books in the New Testament, right? So it's like, I love that about our God. He does that over and over again. Number three, the cross. I mean, we maybe move this back to number one. I don't know, but like
2: the cross, I mean. You said no particular order. <laughs> no
0: particular order, but like this is God's supreme example of how much he loves us is the, the cross that he would send his son. That, I mean, the, the, the love that he has for us demonstrated by this act is absolutely incalculable. Mm-hmm. Right after that, number four, the resurrection. The the resurrection is why God's awesome, Mm. because it shows that God defeats death. It shows that there's a way of doing um, power that contravenes the brutality of Rome. You know, the the, the resurrection shows us that death is not the end, right? Right. It shows us that God has plans for us. And then number five, the kingdom. God plans one day to fix this old world and to renew it and make it right. Number six, God's love. There's a big one. Why is God worthy? Because as 1 John says, he is love, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? His love, his compassion. When God describes himself, he says, Yahweh, Yahweh, gracious, compassionate slow to anger, maintaining love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, abundant in love and truth, right? And so God's love, and I always, think of, um, I always think of the kings of Judah with that too because you look at how bad many of them were and how God held off on sending judgment century after century after century mm-hmm. of these bad kings, and then finally it came during the days of Zedekiah just four more god's justice right his wrath the bible says vengeance is mine i will repay says says the lord i think that is a reason to worship god Mm -hmm. his justice Uh, number eight his power demonstrated by the 10 plagues for example god is a powerful god number nine his eye is on the sparrow right? That's what Jesus teaches in Matthew 10, that God's eyes on the sparrow. We had a funeral here at the church yesterday. Uh, A man died, Warren Woodbury, a good man who was married to Kenyatta. It was really on Kenyatta's heart to have that song, his eyes on the sparrow sung. And Calvin came in, Calvin Flood, and he sang that song. And it just so ministered to everyone's hearts to hear. God's not aloof he's mm-hmm. here he sees it all and no, it's the hairs on your head right mm-hmm. like think about those two examples the hairs on your head and, and a sparrow a sparrow is just a dumb bird who cares mm-hmm. about sparrows or pigeons or doves or whatever and there's like, a
2: bajillion of them
0: who cares but his eyes on the sparrow mm-hmm. his eye is on that that strand of hair that falls off our heads right <laughs> his eye is on that so god is aware he is here he is present and then last of all forgiveness number 10 for me is forgiveness that god is worthy of our worship because he's a god who forgives and if not for his forgiveness i would not be here mm-hmm. if not for his forgiveness i would have no chance at a relationship with god he moves first and then we respond so i mean those are just some reasons to think about why God is so worthy for us to worship Him, and that's just that's just my ten. Rose, you probably mm-hmm. have another ten. Dan, you have another ten. It's good for us to think about why God is so great, and to find new ones. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah. Cause... And as we read through the Bible, to find new ones as well. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and also to experience them in your life.
2: Part of what keeps me down and things that I struggle with personally with in in the context of keeping God on the throne is you know the cycle of sin repentance sin repentance you know fixing certain areas of my life and then other areas sort of sort of fall off and it's just like constant maintenance you're like a engineer at a dam that's failing you know sometimes Mm -hmm. i I feel that way but this passage that tim keller writes really really struck me He, he says on page 172 rejoicing and repentance must go together repentance without rejoicing will lead to despair rejoicing without repentance is shallow and will only provide passing inspiration instead of deep change indeed it is when we rejoice over jesus's sacrificial love for us most Fully, that paradoxically, we are most truly convicted of our sin. When we repent out of fear of consequences, we are not really sorry for the sin, but for ourselves. Fear based repentance is really self pity. In fear based repentance, we don't learn to hate the sin for itself, and it doesn't lose its attractive power. We learn only to refrain from it for our own sake. But when we rejoice over God's sacrificial, suffering love for us, seeing what it cost Him to save us from sin, we learn to hate the sin for what it is. We see what the sin costs God. What most assures us of God's unconditional love, which is Jesus's costly death, is what most convicts us of the evil of sin. Fear-based repentance makes us hate ourselves. Joy-based repentance makes us hate the sin. I never really encountered that idea. Like repentance for me was always like a very sort of heavy. Okay, let me get on my knees. Let me meditate on these verses. Let me go through my sin and you know go on with my day. There was no. There's no joy to it. Mm-hmm. For for me and my you know and my how I do it, the difference that we're talking about is, it, here is motivation. He's talking about repentance for out of fear of of consequences. It isn't going to isn't going to make that sustained outcome that that you want to have so when you rejoice over jesus sacrificial love it changes the motivation from hey i don't want something bad to happen to me because i sinned to look at jesus and look at what he did for me and look how much god loves me and that is what creates the joy in your heart and that's what can lead to a sustained relationship where where god is on the throne
1: um that kind of reminded me of first thessalonians 1 where paul is recounting um sort of the growth that's been happening with the thessalonians there he says, "For we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example." Later on in the passage he talks about how they had turned from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son. And it sounds like such a joyful transformation with them, even though they had suffered and, and not everything had always been easy, that there was, there was power, there was joy, there was enthusiasm among them there. And I feel like their kind of repentance was that joy-based uh, repentance that Keller was talking about.
2: Keller goes on to say, To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to assess its value to you, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes the sweetness of it. Mm-hmm. Rejoicing is a way of praising God until the heart is sweetened and rested and until it relaxes its grip on anything else it thinks that it needs.
0: I understand what you're saying, Dan, as far as the struggle when we fall and then the sense of guilt that goes with that and the difficulty of getting back on the horse with God, so to speak, of repenting, of confessing, of feeling the the sorrow. I think it's just fine to have godly sorrow, Mm -hmm. and I think that's proper. If you didn't, then it it would be like you don't really care that you hurt somebody. I think it's fine to have godly sorrow, but it says in 2 Corinthians 7 that there's a, a worldly sorrow that leads to death. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, which leads to salvation. When I sin and i have the godly sorrow and i and i'm repenting and i'm and i'm confessing it to god this uh process leads to forgiveness and to rejoicing in relishing the sacrifice of christ that he's made a way for me to get back Mm -hmm. and i've seen so many times and i've been tempted with this in my own life at, at different times where someone is living in that tension with a particular sin a habitual sin, and say I commit the sin, and then I and then I confess and I repent and all this, and then I and I, then the next day I do it again, and I go through a little, and the next day I do it again, and at some point something's got to give, mm. and I've seen it where people w- will fall away, yeah, and it's, they're just it's, like it's I don't want it, to. It's, it's exhausting, spiritually exhausting, mm-hmm. emotionally exhausting, sometimes even physically exhausting because you're not going to sleep very well when you're feel like you're a fraud spiritually and my encouragement to you and to anyone else who is in this situation is if you're going to give up on something give up on the sin don't give up on god because Mm. he wants to take you back he wants you he wants you he wants you and that sin is just seductive and it, it will use you and spit you out and it doesn't care about you at all and a lot of times for example uh, dysfunctional relationships are like that too, where you're in a relationship with somebody and they're just using you. If you're in a relationship with God, it, He's giving. He's giving. He's life giving. I mean, he, he expects fidelity too. You read the prophets, like, God God ain't no chump. You know, when it comes to jealousy and You'd worshiping love saying other that. God, I'm going to make you a no t shirt. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was actually just talking about this with a friend the other day, and, um, you know, she was telling me that, you know, she's, she's in a cycle and, I was commiserating with her being like, yeah, you know, I've, I've been there too. And what I told her was that the second that it's no longer on my heart to come back to God is the second that my life is over mm. and that hasn't happened yet. And that is one of the things that I thank God for the most. And that verse in Proverbs where it talks about train up a child in the way he should, he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Like that's one of the th- verses that is closest to my heart because it helped strengthen me in those times where i do feel like giving up where oh this is just too hard i'm i'm, I'm just going to do whatever i want and and continue on and whatever happens happens and the point being that god is never going to give up on you mm-hmm. and god knows the, your heart and if you don't ever give up on god as long as, as i feel like i i believe as, as, it, as long as you're striving and you have that conviction you know the power of, of the gospel is compelling you back then that's an okay place to be. Yeah, you, you, you want to be progressing. You want to get habitual sin out of your life. But uh, there's a difference between you know that struggle and complete apostasy, which does happen. And I'm encouraged by that. As, as crummy as mm-hmm. it is to be in that cycle when, when you're in it, it's overcoming it time after time and seeing the progress looking back over years, you have grown. Mm-hmm. And that to me is something that you know that is close to my heart and, and makes that struggle worth it.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you struggle with this, you are in very good company. There are many people, certainly myself included, where I I can be sort of a functional polytheist where, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. God's important, but maybe he's up next to a bunch of other things in my life. Maybe I have a whole shelf um, of idols at the time. This is a struggle that if we're honest with ourselves, most of us have. There may be the spiritually mature among us who really have gotten so ingrained and so deep with God that this ceases to be an issue, but I think for most of us, younger believers or people who struggle more, this is very common. The people sitting next to you um, at your churches and your fellowships are having the same thing. Um, You you may feel like your circumstance is more dire and more desperate and you are more distant from God, but this is a common human experience. And by all means, find um, someone who's at the same point you are, find someone who is further along who can help you with this. There are resources for that. And seriously, with discipleship and and fellowship that we have, we want nothing more than for us to worship God as God more fully.
0: Mm-hmm. I think of like a little flame and how when you're starting a fire outside, it just starts out as a little tiny flame and then you have to blow on it, but not too hard, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and get it going. And our Passion, our love for God can be like that at times in our lives. And fanning that flame is spending time with God. And I think you have to do it. And Mm -hmm. if you spend time with God every day for at least some dedicated time where you're not doing something else too. Mm -hmm. Quality time. So as opposed to praying in the shower or listening to scripture in the car, two great things to do. But I'm talking about where you lock in with God on a daily basis. You're just like, I'm spending time with you today. Whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's meditating on a scripture, whether it's prayer or listening or whatever it is, or it's just you and God, uh, that enables you to fan that flame. And also, if your passion for God, if you can stoke that in yourself, Mm -hmm. then it's going to be harder to sell out God for your sin because that's basically what we do. We sell out God. We're just like, all right, I know what you say, but I'm going to do this because my appetites are so powerful or whatever. And so we need to make God big in our hearts Mm -hmm. and we need to make it so that we understand the worth, the value of God. That's, that's like my list of these 10 things. It's like, God is amazing. He is so worthy and so awesome. And, we really have no right or reason why we should even be able to approach him or have any kind of relationship with him at all. Mm -hmm. And that's,
2: that's one way to do it and a great way to do it. And another way to do it is just prayer. If your flame is just a flicker and it's at a low ebb, I'm mixing metaphors, but <laughs> if, it, if it's at a low ebb you can you can bring that to God, and you can say, God, I want to spend time with you. I am not motivated though to spend time with you, please work in my heart, please show me your love and your just how awesome and great you are to the point where it makes me really genuinely want to explore your scripture, want to meditate on it i've done this in my life, and it it, it works it really mm-hmm. works. It seems at the outset of a sort of a shameful thing like to pray to god like oh help me be more into you but <laughs> god understands our frame he knows that we're weak and that we have these struggles and to bring this idea to him in prayer is 100 percent fine i believe
1: mm. i love what you're saying my sister and i had sort of a revelation of the simple prayers two or three years ago mm-hmm. it was just unbelievable i think sometimes Um, In Christianity, we do get this idea that our prayers are supposed to be...
2: Eloquent. Yeah,
1: yeah, eloquent (laughs) and and, like (laughs) impress, something that would like impress other people or like impress God and that it has to be censored or that it has to be like of a certain grandeur of topic or whatever. But we started talking about the most fundamental things that we should be praying for instead of some like maybe like esoteric request. But we said things like, help me to believe in you, help me to want you, help me to care. Um we found that, yeah, these were some of the most groundbreaking and fundamental things where there where there seem to be cracks in your walk. it can be the most fundamental things, and pray like really humbling yourself to the point where you're able to uh to bring that before Almighty God. Mm. It was incredibly helpful and helped me step back and really assess my spiritual um condition in a much more accurate and honest way
0: I think also it's helpful to get really practical and look at what, whatever sin it is you're struggling with and find ways to sabotage yourself.
1: Mm. You can what, be so creative with that too. Yeah, <laughs>
0: whether that means shutting off your internet or telling a friend and saying, hey, if you see me do this, I want you to confront me on it. Or I even heard of one person who was trying to overcome something and they wrote a check to some organization that they strongly disliked. <laughs> and they gave it to a friend, like a donation. Wow. Uh, and they gave it to a friend in an addressed envelope. And he, sa- and he said, if you see me do this, send this. And it was enough motivation to get it through. So it's like, I think we want to have the, the spiritual, but also some of the like real practical right. brass tacks kind of things. Like, hey, let's, you know, if every time I go home, I'm, st- I'm tempted to stop at a bar and get drunk let's not bring the wallet to work or like maybe just your license but not your credit card yeah. or your cash or whatever it is like just get real practical and bring other people into it too to to hold you accountable and you can get through this you can and um our love for god has got to be first above all when i was thinking through this last uh, chapter, this epilogue and really starting to feel a little convicted. And and for me, it's like, I don't even have to think about like, what is is that one? Like, it's, it's just my kids. My kids are young. They're impressionable. And like, it's, it's hard not to have, um, not that I think they're so great. I want to worship them, but it's hard not to lose my mind thinking about them getting hurt. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Obviously if I didn't, care <laughs> if they got hurt, then there would be something wrong with me. But there is, a, there is a sense in which I think it's so easy for me to step beyond what is proper and to ascribe to my children more value than to my God. Mm-hmm. And that is absolutely unacceptable in my own heart. And I was reminded of the binding of Isaac and what Abraham did there. And I was thinking about a book I read in seminary by Soren Kierkegaard called... Fear and trembling. And he, this is a a little quote from that. He says, There was one who relied upon himself and gained everything, and one who, secure in his own strength, sacrificed everything. But greater than all was the one who believed God. There was one who was great in his strength, and one who was great in his wisdom, and one who was great in hope, and one who was great in love. But greater than all was Abraham great with that power whose strength is powerlessness, great in that wisdom whose secret is folly. Great in that hope whose outward form is insanity. Great in that love which is hatred itself. It was by his faith that Abraham could leave the land of his fathers to become a stranger in the land of promise. And he goes on to talk about Abraham's life a little bit. Then he says, It was faith that made Abraham accept the promise that all nations of the earth should be blessed in his seed. Time went by, the possibility was still there, and Abraham had faith. Time went by, it became unlikely, and Abraham still had faith. And then, of course, we know that Abraham finally did have his son by Sarah, Isaac. And what joy must have filled his heart when that promise of God, which was physically impossible, became a reality. And then God says to him, Go sacrifice your son, your son whom you love. Somehow, and that's this kind of like uh, Kierkegaard's uh, meditation on this, is like somehow Abraham... Did it somehow he, he got through it. And Kierkegaard says, Who gave strength to Abraham's arm? Who kept his right arm raised so that it did not fall helplessly down? Anyone who saw this would be paralyzed. Who gave strength to Abraham's soul so that his eye did not become too clouded to see either Isaac or the ram? Anyone who saw this would become blind. And yet, rare enough though they may be, those who are both paralyzed and blind, still more rare is he who can tell the story and give it its due. We know it, all of us. It was only a trial. And how Abraham went through this action. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable what the first great believer did. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He raised the knife, held it gleaming in the sun over his beloved, only begotten son, at least by Sarah. He committed himself to it. In the end, what Abraham teaches us is that God is greater than what or whom God gives, in that moment he had no idols, and that mm-hmm. was in proof. that moment he had no idols.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, that's it. And of course, God stopped him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Thank> yes, <laughs> Hallelujah! <If> that story <laughs> ended any other way, man. <laughs> yeah, we'd be we'd be really struggling, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, it was all a trial. But you know what? You're right. In that moment, Abraham had no idols, mm-hmm. and this, for many of us, is so easily something that slips in as an idol and replaces god and we and we say oh yeah well if if it turns out there's no god i could move on with my life but if it turns out my child dies of a rare disease i'm done yeah Mm -hmm. and i'm sorry but you're an idolater if you if you think that Mm -hmm.
2: and that's what keller devotes so much of his book to he says that idols are essentially good things that we place the ultimate importance on Mm -hmm. abraham loved his son even when he placed him on the altar but isaac wasn't abraham's ultimate and that's what enabled him to show God that God was his ultimate.
0: Mm-hmm. When we put God first and we have our ordered loves, going back to our first episode together, I was quoting from Augustine, and we're looking at these different good things. But then like if we put God first, then these other things can be goods in themselves, mm-hmm. but they don't terminate. We see through them to the goodness of God in them. Mm-hmm. And then we can be better parents, better husbands, mm-hmm. better wives, better friends, Flourish. better mm-hmm. workers more creative and have success and, and not have it turn us into jerks mm-hmm. or have failure and have it not destroy us. Yeah. If God's first in our lives, our lives will be better.
1: Mm-hmm. These pursuits and these relationships can then become healthy too, because they're not so desperate because you're not doing it for your very life.
2: I really like the way that Keller chose to end his book, this book, counterfeit gods. He quotes from a um, pastor named John Newton, who's also a hymn writer. And Newton, in this following excerpt, he's addressing this struggle, everything that we've been talking about these past six weeks. Newton says, If I may speak my own experience, I find that to keep my eyes simply on Christ as my peace and my life, it is by far the hardest part of my calling. It seems easier to deny self in a thousand instances of outward conduct than in its ceaseless endeavors to act as a principle of righteousness and power. The man or woman who knows the difference that Newton refers to, the difference between obeying rules of outward conduct rather than setting your heart on Christ as your peace and your life is on the road to freedom from the counterfeit gods that control us. Well, thank you guys for listening as always. I really enjoy talking about counterfeit gods these past uh, several weeks. And for me, you know, it's helped me personally, and I'm sure it's helped Sean and Rose. And that's part of what we get out of this. And we'd love to hear what you get out of it. Leave us a comment at restitudio.org. Um, interact with us. We like when people give us feedback. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.
1: Totally um, agree with Dan that this sort of assessment of your heart, um, where your heart is, an honest assessment of where your heart is and then where you want to be before God can be totally spiritual dynamite. And if you take to heart many um, of the techniques we were talking about and also reasons why God is awesome, it could be that jumpstart that you feel like you may need in your spiritual life. Very transforming and powerful. We love you guys. I'm going to say goodbye today in Hindi. Alvidar.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that. And if so, please share this episode on social media so that others can also listen to it. And if you haven't already done so, please leave us an honest review in iTunes. We really appreciate that. It helps people to find this podcast when they're searching. And we're going to be taking a break now from Script for the next few Sundays as I play out some interviews that I've been recording, including one with... Seth Ross, Matt Elton, and Beckett Cook. So stay tuned for that. Visit us online at restitudio.org and we'll see you next week. Remember, the truth has nothing to fear.